0: This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Sabbat Magazine, a gorgeous and award-winning magazine that celebrates modern witchcraft and feminism. Now, I've written for Sabbat a whole bunch of times over the years, and I love them dearly. So I'm especially excited to announce their newest project, Le Tarot de l'Etoile Cachee, which translates to The Tarot of the Hidden Star. This is a new tarot deck of 22 major arcana cards, hand-drawn by the enormously talented artist Elisa Seitzinger, with an in-depth guide written by yours truly, and it was my honor. The Tarot of the Hidden Star is ornate, contemporary, bold, and so beautiful. And it's available for pre order now from SabbatMagazine.com. So head on over to SabbatMagazine, that's S A B A T, magazine.com, and order your Tarot of the Hidden Star today. Today's episode is brought to you by Miss Marley an Australian artist who designs whimsical products with a feminist agenda for witches and other wild folks. Miss Marley was kind enough to send me a Hex the Patriarchy t-shirt, and I am crazy about it. All of Miss Marley's t-shirts are 100% organic cotton manufactured using renewable energy sources, ethically made and screen printed by Marley herself using eco-friendly ink in her forest down under. Search for Miss Marley Boutique on Etsy and discover her t-shirts, prints, hand embroideries, and more. And that URL is etsy.com shop slash Miss Marley Boutique. You can see even more of her work on Instagram, and that handle is at Miss Marley underscore art. And if you go to her Etsy shop, you lucky Witchwave listeners can get 20% off when you enter offer code WITCH at checkout. And that's valid until the end of August of this year. Thanks so much, Miss Marley. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one, too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. welcome to the season finale. Yes, my friends, I'm about to go on summer break and I admit I'm feeling a little bit emotional about it. So often we're told to make the thing we want to see in the world. And this podcast has definitely been an incredibly meaningful manifestation for me. When I started the Witch Wave this past October, I couldn't imagine how many of you would find it and listen to it and share it and in many cases take the time to reach out to me. I want to thank you so very much for your support, for spreading the word, and for sending me so many beautiful emails and messages. I so wish I had the time to respond to each of you individually, but please know that I read everything you send me, and I'm deeply, deeply touched to know that this podcast has been resonating with so many of you. I began it as a wonderful excuse for me to get to speak with so many of my own witchly heroines and heroes. But the fact that together, you, me, and my guests have managed to create our own digital coven along the way makes my heart burst. Now, everything comes in cycles, and that's why I know I need to hit the pause button for a little bit to focus on another creative project that I've been cooking up in my cauldron. I'm going to be taking this summer to finish writing my book. Yes, I have a nonfiction book coming out next year that is all about the archetype of the witch. And you can bet you'll be hearing more about it when the witch wave comes back in the fall. I also already have some truly mind-blowing guests lined up, as well as some other podcast plans that I'm concocting, and I'm super excited about all of it. So please follow us at WitchwavePod on Instagram or Twitter to find out when our second season starts and to keep up with other Witchwave-related news. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, because there's still this entire juicy season finale to get to. And there's also so much to celebrate right now. It's Pride Month here in the States, and it's summer solstice this week. So right now is a time to blaze brightly and boldly. Summer solstice, or Letha as it's sometimes called is the longest day of the year. It's a holy day of solar energy, a day of liveliness and celebration for the life-giving rays of light which shine down on all of us. It's also a day of power, of standing tall and being seen, and of stepping into our own truth. Is there something that you're hoping to manifest, to claim, or reclaim? The summer solstice is the perfect day for this. For my ritual, I love to incorporate objects that are evocative of rays of light. I like to find an obelisk. There are quite a few around New York City. Sometimes you'll find them in graveyards or I'm sure there's some kind of similar pillar that you might be able to find in your own town. And I love to stand in front of it and feel like it's a bridge connecting me to the sun itself. Additionally, I love to light a tall pillar candle and focus on all of the areas in my life that I want to shine a light on. I think about the boldest truths and wishes that I have for the rest of the year because after this day the nights do begin to grow longer and the light starts to wane So I think about what I need to focus on and bring my attention and energy to to keep myself fortified through the darker half of the year. It's a mid-year spiritual check-in if you will and it's also a time to be outside as much as possible or at least to focus on keeping your own inner fires stoked and strong. And most of all, It's a time to relax and relish. Flowers are blooming, fruits and vegetables are starting to ripen. It's a day of glory and enjoyment and joy. It brings to mind the following poem, which the author may have written about a lover, but that I think works just as mightily as an ode to the sun this is a love song by william carlos williams i lie here thinking of you the stain of love is upon the world yellow 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 it eats into the leaves smears with saffron the horned branches that lean heavily against a smooth purple sky. There is no light, only a honey-thick stain that drips from leaf to leaf and limb to limb, spoiling the colors of the whole world. You, far off there, Under the wine-red selvage of the West. Ah, so good. And so I wish you a summer that is yellow, 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 and golden and honey-soaked and glowing and full of productive magic. And I think that my two guests today are going to help you get in a really generative mood. Because Bill Crisafi and Hogan McLaughlin are two of the most creative souls I know. But before we get to them, first let's check and see what's come through on the Witchwire. Who is it? Witches! Sarah writes, I've been listening to your podcast nonstop since I discovered it a couple weeks ago. My interest in witchcraft was recently reignited after being dormant for almost 10 years. Since embracing it back into my life, I've gained a sense of calm and peace that's helped with my personal struggles in ways I never would have imagined. However, there are a couple other people in my life who are struggling with some difficult situations. From my research and prior knowledge, it is best practice to get a person's permission before casting a spell for or on them. Neither of them know about my practice, so I wouldn't feel comfortable asking. I want to send both of these people positive energy and healing to help them deal with their situations. Would it be completely unethical to do so without obtaining their permission? Would there be negative consequences for doing so? Any insight you could provide would be so helpful. Sarah, hello, thank you for writing. Well, I am delighted you found the podcast and thrilled that you're finding your way back to your practice. That is so, so lovely to read. And let me preface this by saying that you're going to find a lot of different answers to this question depending on who you ask, which I think is a good thing because it means ultimately that you get to decide what feels right to you. But since you're asking me, my take is that it is never a bad idea to send anybody positive energy or love or healing vibes. If we all took time to do that every day, can you imagine what kind of a world this would be? But I think what can get tricky is when we start petitioning or asking for specific things on behalf of other people. Because we don't necessarily know what that other person really wants, or if a certain desired outcome is actually what's best for them. I've said this before, but it bears repeating, that when someone comes to me for a specific spell, I generally make sure that there is some aspect of that spell that they take ownership over or that they are doing or completing themselves. So if they come to me for a love spell or a spell to help find a job or a blessing for their newborn or whatever the circumstance, it's a collaboration between myself and them. And I always make sure that they have actions to take either during or after our working together. I give them magical homework, if you will. And in my experience, this approach tends to be more effective. And it also makes sure that they are accountable for their own manifestations, which I think is really important. It also ensures that I'm not ego tripping or feeling like I made something happen for someone else, which no one can really do. What we can do is help people to help themselves or heal themselves. But you're not even talking about any of this. You're talking about doing magic on someone else's behalf without them knowing about it. It's a beautiful intention to want to help the people you care about, and it's something that I do a lot myself, which is to ask spirit to help those I love. I think there's nothing wrong with doing magic for someone else in this capacity if these intentions are kind and clear and loving and open. And doing something quite simple can be really effective. So if you light a candle or make a beautiful altar or do a spell, and as part of this, say something like, Dear spirit, thank you for blessing and protecting my friend, Leopoldina. (laughs) Please help her find her way to love, safety, health, and peace. Blessed be. That can be very effective. It seems so easy, but what you're doing is not only getting assistance from the powers that be, you're also holding space in your heart for the people you care about. And that act of compassion and focus is a true gift. Even better is if you can then match this magic with some action if you're able. Give them a call, buy them flowers, send a note telling them that they matter to you because that's extremely powerful magic too. I wish you and your friends all the best. Now on to my guests, Bill Crisafi and Hogan McLaughlin. They are an incredible and incredibly witchy creative couple based in witch city itself, Salem, Massachusetts. Bill Crisafi is a multidisciplinary artist with a shadowy aesthetic that's a combination of beautiful delicacy and spiky irreverence. Bill has a line of products that feature his irresistible illustrations of witches, Poisonous plants and alchemical imagery. His drawings, photographs, and sculptures are, as he puts it, quote, an extension of the dark nostalgia of New England's past, focusing on themes of folklore and the occult. End quote. And his work has been featured by Vice Creator's project, Unquiet Things and musician Chelsea Wolfe. He is also one half of Burial Ground, a jewelry line that incorporates woodland magic and Salem aesthetics into their designs. Hogan McLaughlin is a fashion designer, artist, and dancer. His dark, romantic fashion line takes inspiration from fairy tales, fantasy films, and ballet. He was discovered by fashion icon Daphne Guinness, who invited him to design some garments for her, which were then featured in the window display of Barney's New York. This led to multiple runway shows, features in Vogue, Women's Wear Daily, and the New York Times, and a devoted following. Hogan is also an accomplished illustrator whose clients include the HBO series Game of Thrones. It was such a pleasure to get to speak to this Salem power couple about their respective work, their inspirations, and the true magic of collaboration. Bill and Hogan both joined me in person here in my brooklyn apartment
1: bill crasafi and hogan mclaughlin welcome to the witch wave
2: thank you so much for having us it's a pleasure
1: so this is definitely going to take a little bit of conversational choreography on my part um, because i have never had two guests at the same time so thank you guys in advance for your good humor and going with this very bizarre mic setup which (laughs) (laughs) i won't bother to describe (laughs) to the listener but we're definitely jerry-rigging things here today but i want to talk to both of you individually um because i'm such a fan of both of the work that you guys do and then i also want to talk about the ways in which you collaborate um about your relationship, ooh, some (laughs) romance, and uh, make sure that we touch on the ways in which your work is influencing each other too. But I thought I would just start off, uh, Bill, with you, just purely for alphabetical reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So Bill, you're an artist, an illustrator, a jewelry designer, a photographer, a sculptor, (laughs) all of these things. So my first question is, how do you decide which medium you're going to work in at any given time? Oh
2: man, I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of times where I'm flip-flopping or jumping back and forth like leaving a drawing and going to making a costume or something or having an idea for a photograph. So it it's hard. I I feel like there's no really way to manage it all, but I really it's weird that like I just have so many different things that I like that I need to do.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And yet it, it feels like all of the work, at least the work that I've seen of yours online and in person really does have this through line where it all feels like it's kind of part of the same you you know Thank there's you. yeah there's a lot of witchcraft mm-hmm. there's a real um kind of victorian new england sensibility what what other things are you trying to convey with your work
2: um i am really interested in different folklore stories i i took a grimm's fairy tale class in college and i think that was just sort it I was working in that sort of narrative anyway, but I think that like having sometimes having that vehicle of like a, you know maybe loosely based on something that already exists in, in a way. Um, I was really interested in the way that the stories change over time, so I think like folklore is definitely a huge inspiration for a lot of my work too, and I don't know, like I guess like using a lot of symbolism as well is really like important to me. I always, I have these like the same character basically going through different mediums and acting out these different things that I have in my head.
1: And is this kind of that witchly lady character? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, um, it's funny because I, I originally was in fashion design and I went to school at FIT and I ended up in illustration specialization because I enjoyed construction, but it was really—I um, just wasn't really good at math and <laughs> having a hard time getting things perfect. And I'd rather just not. So um, I did illustration, and I found that I—I I kept drawing the same person over and over again. And she's the same now, even like if I'm drawing an older crone or a young maiden, it's like the same features and everything. So it's like this—this this person has been like kind of throughout my work for a number of years now where do you think she comes from and who is Um, she I you know sometimes I wonder that myself that's like I probably should go see like a a psychologist or something to figure (laughs) it out (laughs) um I think like sometimes she could maybe in a way be an extension of myself or like this ideal like I don't I don't know how to describe it she
1: Jung has this theory mm. that and I don't know how much I fully ascribe to it mm-hmm. but it is this theory that whatever our gender is right. and I realize in this day and age that's such a fluid and malleable mm-hmm. word but his theory is that whatever our gender is that we have the opposite gender kind of spirit that we Mm -hmm. want to express so men have an anima and Mm -hmm. women have an animus I Mm -hmm. think that's that's the right terminology so am I trying to understand maybe she's your anima in a way a female kind of emanation of yourself or is that too reductive I
2: don't know um it could be I'm I'm not sure it's just it's like one of those things like it got in my head and then I you know it's like I just always work with that thing so I I guess it it could be definitely I'm not I'm not too sure but I've also like recently kind of started exploring um keeping the same features for this this character and having it be on a male body or like sort of draw trying to draw things where you're not sure what the gender is which I think is like I don't know an interesting bridge with that too because I I don't know, I I realized how much I, I do kind of stick to that one trope and so like kind of exploring it in other ways that has to do with like gender and sexuality I think is like something that I like wanna get more into.
1: And the witch is such an amazing bridge mm-hmm. for that because yeah. we bring so much to that archetype when it comes to gender, sexuality, power dynamics, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Um, what is it about the witch that started interesting you? I think I read somewhere that when you were really young, you were drawing witches.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I um, I have these really funny memories, actually. I would like... I remember I used to bring this mop that was from my house. Like, a, It was like a royal blue-handled mop with, like, a bright yellow, you know, bristle, like, or mop head, and I would pretend to fly on the swing set. Yes! <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I would do that. I was drawing. I always drew witches. Um, And I think, like, you know, when I was hit, getting into high school and things, I was, like, not... It was still, like, interesting to me, but there wasn't... You know, I was, like, exploring more, like, you know, I was doing ceramics. I was... We were just doing, like, high school art projects, thing like, random things. So um there was a moment where I was sort of, like, not working with it, but it it has literally been, like, this key thing throughout my work and throughout my life that has always been, like, with me, where, like, I... I another, like, memory that somehow sticks with me is, like, I remember teaching kids how to draw witches in kindergarten. Oh. <laughs> it's just, like, really weird.
0: That's the math. Yeah, but it's,
2: I mean, the it would be like the you know classic halloween witch but she was always she was always there and salem had always been like a place where i um i would have my mom bring me there every weekend that she agreed to it <laughs> <laughs> so i could go shopping at all the stores and oh yeah.
1: amazing what an amazing place to grow up near oh,
2: it was unlike anything else, for sure.
1: Well, we're definitely going to talk deep about Salem in a few minutes. But first, Hogan, I want to bring you into the conversation because... I think it's so interesting that Bill started in fashion and then became an illustrator and all these things. And my understanding is you also started somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You were a dancer, is that right? Before becoming a fashion yes. designer?
3: I left high school. Um, I mean, I finished high school, but I left high school to join a ballet company in Chicago when I was 16. Um, and I was with them for a number of years before. I moved to New York, and um, meanwhile, I'd grown up drawing um, all my life, and had no real like goal to become a fashion designer. But I would always draw fashion-forward, stylized things. I think. And um, were
1: they costumes for yourself or for some? Mm,
3: no, I think. Well, I'm a huge Disney buff. I like <gasps> when I was a kid. One of the first movies I ever saw was Sleeping Beauty, and <sighs> it's still my one of my all-time favorite films ever, just because. The sheer like artistry behind it um it took them like six years to make it the uh, backgrounds are just works of art on their own without the moving characters in the be- in the in the foreground um and was that
1: Mary Blair who worked on it um, or was Mary this... blair
3: did the um she did the concept art, but Ivan Earle was the actual uh background illustrator mm-hmm. who brought this very angular um look to everything because before that with Alice in Wonderland Cinderella all that stuff it was very rounded and kind of like soft and romantic but Sleeping Beauty was hyper like high gothic super super stylized and I just remember being so taken aback by that and like interested in it and that's to this day I still probably implement some of those style style choices in my fashion oh yeah and Maleficent is such Mm -hmm. a badass character (laughs) one of the best characters of all time for sure
1: I always think of her as a witch, but I know technically she's a dark fairy, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but she's,
3: you know, it's, it's, it's that type of character that really gets the mind going. And yeah. And so, th- you know, and then I was illustrating that. And then, um, my friend, well, my now friend, Daphne Guinness, who is the heiress to the Bre- Guinness brewery. Um, she's a singer, a fashion maven in uh, her own legend. Own yeah. She found my stuff on Twitter of all places. And, um, Decided to have those things made into actual pieces. So,
1: so she found your illustrations yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Wow, um, we
3: had we had an exchange, and then um, we yeah we just hooked up and collaborated, and the rest is history.
1: Social media, that's <laughs> that, you know that's like one know. of the nicest social media stories I've ever heard.
3: Yeah, and then now my fiance we met we met <laughs> we met on social media. So mm-hmm. like you guys Instagram.
1: met on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Aw, you're an (laughs) insta-couple. Power of
3: social media. Exactly. (laughs) Good
1: testament to it. I feel like we have so many terrible social media stories Mm -hmm. these days. It's nice to be reminded that wonderful things can happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. hey, I met you guys because of social media, so there we go. Mm -hmm. But Hogan, I want to just take a step back. So Mm -hmm. were you still thinking you were going to be a professional dancer and you were doing these illustrations kind of for fun, or were you already pivoting? um, to the art world?
3: I, um, well, I, it could have been a blessing or a curse, but I joined my goal company from the beginning. Like I, I grew up watching Hubbard street. I was obsessed with them and then I got a chance to join them. So I was kind of like, I reached my peak already at age 16 and I still had ambitions to, to dance elsewhere. But I think that I also have a very like scattered mind where I want to be doing like Bill like you just want to keep doing as much as you can within any realm that you are taken with and so I, I did a few pickup jobs in New York and I still do a few things in Chicago here and there um when I have the time
1: and is it it's a ballet company uh, forgive me I'm not the most I dance use, knowledgeable I use ballet
3: because I think when it when you when you think when you say like modern contemporary ballet or something like that a lot of people don't either don't know it or they're very familiar with like so you think you can dance which is its own style to itself. Uh Hubbard Street has a very like European choreographer repertoire um
1: So this wouldn't be like Martha Graham or that school. No. I th- okay. I th-
3: I, they might have done Martha the, the company was established in the 70s so it's had this through line for for years now. Um but now it's become more like very focused on uh, contemporary choreographers from like all around the world, bringing them in and doing sort of like evening length pieces. Um, How
1: phenomenal. Yeah. So, okay, so you were doing your illustrations in parallel to a yes. dance, yeah. and then this legend woman <laughs> finds your drawings on Twitter, mm-hmm. and then she asks you to have some, uh, is it a gown made, or uh, what was it that she wanted?
3: We did... Th- two pieces that ended up in this film that we were doing. Um, And one was a red leather cat suit that kind of looked like um, articulated musculature. Mm -hmm. And then another was a pair of shoes that had these metalized wings that kind of looked like armor. Um, And then like the social media press and everything dubbed them the knife boots. So that's what they've become now. Amazing. (laughs) And then they were in uh, the windows of Barney's that coincided with the McQueen um, exhibition at the Met. Oh, so that was like a pinch me moment. I, like I'm, this is my first time in fashion, and all of a sudden, like this is what <laughs> this, this, this is, is the standard. I'm. Is, at. This is a pretty unbelievable
1: story. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, you know, Hogan.
3: I feel, I, I, hope that the listeners aren't like what is this what is this happening like are you (laughs) well
1: i mean first of all you're just such a lovely person so it (laughs) couldn't happen to a lovelier person but you're so gifted that i mean it sounds like the stars just really aligned but now you're doing the hard work of Mm -hmm. having a fashion line
3: yeah it's at the beginning i think coming off the tail end of doing that stuff with daphne there was a lot of Attention and everything. For when I, I launched my first line, maybe half a year afterwards, after I did that, um, and it was small, but there was good press on it. There was a good like tailwind from it. Um, and you
1: suddenly just had to learn how to even do that to definitely yeah. ha- kind of mentor you in that Action. process.
3: Uh, there the my friend, she used to be in the costume shop at Hubbard Street when I was dancing, and she was she's like old school goth like she wears the platforms the Doc Martens every day like we just sort of every time I would have a fitting we like had really good vibes so we uh struck up a friendship and she's one of the most talented people I know she can look at uh, anything and make it like tailor-made for a body and she she has said that she loves working on my stuff because it's like a puzzle piece because I have so many style lines and things that go into it so we have a long-standing collaboration friendship And she still does my couture evening wear stuff for my line.
1: How fabulous. So So, talking to both of you, you obviously have some kind of shared aesthetic. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the words that come to mind when I look at Hogan, your fashion and Bill, your artwork is, of course, uh, romantic, Mm -hmm. goth. Mm -hmm cinematic theatrical dark Mm -hmm. you know there there's um a real current of magic and occult in there do you see your work as influencing each other at all, or did you you just um, happen to both have this aesthetic, and then you fell in love?
3: Yeah,
2: I think like it's funny because some people will even see our drawings, and you know, my I, actually this happened very recently. My mom was asking me about a pin that Hogan made, but she wasn't sure if I drew it or he drew it. But it, so it's I think we just naturally have the same sort of style in that way. And I'm sure we, like, subconsciously influence each other. Yeah, I mean, I I think
3: we met because of being in the realm of the dark artists um, that exists right now on Instagram and things like that. Like, we just sort of found each other, not through each other's artwork per se, but just, Mm -hmm. and it happened. I I think we do have similar styles, but we also have very different styles Mm -hmm. as well. For Mm -hmm, sure. sure. I think we both work in very, very detailed things, but Mm -hmm. I think and i don't like i don't mean this is an offense but i think that yours is a, a bit more like wild maybe mm-hmm. like and i think that i i think it mine They're is very a little more controlled. contained yeah
1: mm-hmm. so bills so, is a little more loose yeah. and hogan's yours is a little more structured mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that makes sense to me um I know this is probably an obvious comparison, but the person who keeps coming up for me when I look at both of your work is Edward Gorey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, yes. Wait, I, I got a
2: lot of that this weekend <laughs> at the oddities market. <laughs>
1: but I mean that as such a high compliment because he was such an artist and mm-hmm. obviously has those New England roots as well that you have, Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, was he someone that influenced you growing up or not so much? Um,
2: you know, I, I mean, I knew of his work growing up, and I had friends who were really into it, but I had never, like, paid a ton of attention to him. I definitely liked it, and I, I think I appreciate it more now, especially seeing that I get that comparison a lot, and so I'm, you know, I went, one year for my birthday, I went and visited his house and everything. Um,
1: uh, it's so awesome, oh his tarot card collection. so good. So mind-blowing.
2: Um, but yeah, so he wasn't... Um, He wasn't, like, a massive influence on me. The person who actually was, though, was Tim Burton, like, his early, early work. And I remember I was actually in school here when he had his... um, his opening at the Met and I was the first person in line to meet him at like (gasps) six in the morning. (laughs)
1: How fabulous. It was so funny. So, um, yeah, I think that show was at MoMA.
2: Oh, MoMA. I'm sorry. Yeah. MoMA. My bad.
1: Oh, not at all. I I loved that show. And, uh, he is, is someone who's very close to my heart too. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see that now that you mention it.
2: For sure. Yeah. He's, he's really, um, I love, like I actually transferred out of FIT to like possibly pursue animation i ended up taking animation courses but my new the new school that i went to um works like you you, any class you take goes towards your major so i was doing sculpture animation and then welding and woodworking so it was like a lot of a lot of different things so animation ended up like not being a huge focus just because it wasn't like a, a really rigid like I don't know, regimented schedule, you were able to do like a bunch of different things. And because I'm scattered with the way I work. <laughs>
1: multifaceted. Yeah, multifaceted. It <laughs> um,
2: may not have been not the best thing, but it worked out.
1: Yeah. And Hogan, who are some of your influences? I mean, obviously I want to talk about like McQueen and mm-hmm. Iris Van Herpen mm-hmm. and like all yeah. these amazing dark fashion designers. But is there anyone else?
3: Um, I I think I've always been... Before I even knew that I wanted to be in fashion, I was drawn to John Galliano's work because oh, it's yeah. so theatrical, and the stuff he did for the Dior couture shows just it, like it's just mind-boggling what he was able to accomplish in those shows. And yeah, definitely the dark artists as well. I I mean, I I love Rick Owens. I I, I wouldn't say it's major influence on my on my uh, work, but it's probably more influence on my. My life, <laughs> yeah. like what I wear and stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, I just I think mainly I don't. I don't really like look to other designers for inspiration. I, I appreciate and respect them. I I have a ton of coffee table books of every everything possible, and I love just looking at them. But I don't really get inspired by that because I think my past in dance has is what really inspires me because mm-hmm. I try to. A signature thing that I always try to do is like style lines like, draw your attention to different parts of the body and I think that having sort of I guess luckily a heightened awareness of the human body because I partnered with people all my life and know like I'm more hyper aware of my own body through that mm-hmm. I think that's what I try to like evoke through what I'm what I'm doing with fashion.
1: Beautiful so guys we're just going to take a quick break
3: and we'll be right back
1: Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blood Milk Jewels. I
0: have loved Blood Milk for years because each piece of their jewelry has a story that adds to its aesthetics and talismanic qualities. Their designs are inspired by seances and surrealism and shadowy goddesses and so many more of my favorite things. They use materials like sterling silver and natural crystals and gemstones such as moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. And so each piece is crafted to be psychic armor. I also love that they've been handmade
1: in Philadelphia using local resources since 2008— and that it's a female-owned and operated company. So check out bloodmilkjewels.com and adorn yourself with dark, sparkling beauty. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Salem power couple Bill Crisafi and Hogan McLaughlin. (laughs) So we were just talking about some of your influences. I would love to talk about the place you guys live, which is Salem, which city. And I imagine that that might have some sort of influence on your work, or you might Mm -hmm. be infusing your work with some of that Salem spirit. Do you think that's right?
2: Definitely. Actually, it's sort of a funny story. When I was living in New York, going to school here, I... Go back to Massachusetts every weekend because I where I was living I was living like in Midtown which is like horrendous and the um,
1: opposite of a woodland countryside <laughs> right. so I
2: would I would be leaving as much as possible to be back in nature and go for walks outside and like you know look at all the old homes and there's this one park that I really love that my friends and I always went to and I think this is like. This is sort of tied into um, what Jamie and I do with Burial Ground.
1: Which is your jewelry which line. Which is the
2: jewelry line, yeah. So, when there was one time we were walking through the park and I had a huge illustration project to do, which was um, we had to do three different collections. This was my like final. And at FIT. At FIT. Okay. Yeah. So, I had to design all these clothes, like all these clothes, and I was going and collecting specimens from this park. I would get like milkweed and little. Pieces of lichen and little twigs and brambles and things, and um, using that in my my mood board with my swatches, and so the the clothing was completely influenced by New England landscapes, and then the construction was very like, sort of, this like abandoned looking. I don't know, Massachusetts home that you'd like stumble upon in the woods or something like that. Like
1: a dilapidated, romantically
2: ruined kind of house. Yes, Yes precisely (laughs) (laughs) so so picturing
1: like adam's family vibes i don't know if that's Mm. maybe a little more run down it was
2: yeah it was definitely a little bit more run down and like it was i I used a lot of color too it was um are lots of like amoeba-y looking silks and weird like hairy white like i don't know when you open up a milkweed and all the little the seeds come out Mm. things like that Mm. um so it's completely like ingrained into me there's nothing I can do about it and <laughs> anything that I do I feel like it, it always shows up in, in some form or another whether it's like you know architecture that I draw or if I'm making a costume I feel like there's there's some sort of influence of of the area mm-hmm. in that which is you know I'm I'm forever grateful to grow up where I did because it is it's absolutely gorgeous
1: yeah, and Hogan, you didn't grow up in Massachusetts, no. right?
3: No, I didn't. I grew up uh, just outside of Chicago, but I, I actually, when I was fourteen, I think I did um, a training program at the Boston Ballet. Growing up, and I visited Salem on the weekend with my family and loved it. And you know, in seventh or eighth grade, I believe I was in a English class where we read The Crucible, and I just remember being obsessed with the story. <sighs> And that same year, we read Macbeth, which is you know mm-hmm. another witch thing that was just super super influential in my in my mind at that time. So I think that the the nostalgia was always there for me, but um, I'd never actually considered living there mm-hmm. until you know obviously. <laughs> Bill lured you there <laughs> yeah, in yeah, sticky you web. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's it's a fantastic place to live, and our first collaboration was. I was releasing my spring 2016 line 17 line i can't i can't remember and he did the photography for it and the pioneer village which is 1690
2: is it, it, it's um well it's a replica village mm-hmm. that was actually in the beginning of hocus pocus so it's mm-hmm. you know all the thatched roofed huts and everything mm-hmm. um it's smack dab in the middle of this park that yeah. you would never even know is there unless mm-hmm. you go beyond the gate mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah really so cool. when, when you're there you can't help but inspired by mm-hmm. your surroundings and
3: New England is fantastic it's gorgeous um, I'm cherishing my time there but. yeah
1: it's it's interesting Salem as a place because Obviously, it's this space of such pain. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. real tragedy that happened there. And shout out to my friend Dave, who actually grew up in Danvers, mm-hmm. who always says, well, Danvers is actually where it happened. <laughs> yeah. and he's he's like, we just have a very modest, you know, statue. We don't mm-hmm. have a whole town about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Salem as it is now, you know, it, it is kind of this monument, this living monument to this tragedy, and yet it is also a commercial place and Mm. a tourist place and there is kind of an, an interesting friction there that mm-hmm. I know some people call out and say, oh, so this terrible thing happened and now there's nothing but gift shops there. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet when I go, I feel this real sense of like reclamation and healing mm-hmm. um, because, you know, all these people were killed in the name of witchcraft, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. probably not witches, um, maybe somewhere, but probably not mm-hmm. most of them. And yet, now it attracts all these people who love the archetype of the witch, who mm-hmm. want to wave their witch flag, who want mm-hmm. to live um, in a spirit of freedom, and, you know, who to celebrate their, quote-unquote, outsiderness and mm-hmm. have a place where they belong. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, are, do you sense some of that tension when, right. you, when you're living there? Yeah,
2: I think that um, that's a huge, that's like a really, I, I feel like, current conversation. Um because when people come to visit, I I like to, you know, give people give them like the key places to visit to go because you can get caught into some sort of not so great tourist trap while you're there. And I think that the history of like Lori Cabot opening up her shop in Salem where she was basically like, Yeah, maybe she was cap like maybe capitalizing on this area or didn't I, I'm sure she didn't think of it in that way at the time. And
1: for listeners who don't know who she is, can you fill them in a oh, little bit? Oh, for
2: sure. She is the official witch of Salem and the creator of the Cabot tradition. Um, and she she's amazing and opened up the first witch shop, which then I, I think like a lot of people followed suit. And I think that that's sort of interesting to the area that maybe people don't realize because, you know, this tragedy happened that isn't being maybe honored in the best way or on the surface isn't being honored in the best way. But every time you go to a museum, you know, you're, you're given the correct information of what actually happened and what the witch trials are. Um, and then these shops are educating you on something else, like what the, you know, what, what the craft is or different, you know, even different, a ton of different versions of it or different religions and traditions. So I think that that's really important to note. Um, but I, I also totally agree with like, there are things that you know I'll draw or something and I'm like I don't know if someone will understand like what if this is taken the wrong way it's like such a fine line where people want to see something and say oh witch like mm-hmm. that witchy or whatever when mm-hmm. it really it's like a tragic thing mm-hmm. as well so it's there's definitely it's definitely like a, a sensitive subject
1: yeah and Hogan, I imagine that you working in the fashion industry now, you have to travel quite a bit. Yes. How are you balancing your Salem life with New York City fashion industry or Paris fashion industry or wherever yeah, else right. you have to go for work?
3: It's it's a bit of a challenge, to be honest, because I Salem is fantastic for all of the reasons that we've been discussing. It's gorgeous, but it's a small town. And... I like what I want to achieve is, you know, going to an, a next level with, you know, the trajectory of everything that I'm doing and it's already sort of gotten to that next step. So it's kind of like do or die at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm, Didn't yeah. you
1: design for Lady Gaga did, recently? Yeah. Um,
3: well a few years ago, but, um, yeah, I did, I did a few things for her, uh, tour, uh, I think it was the born this way ball or something
1: amazing yeah was, so things are exploding for you yeah I
3: think I mean it's you know with with any kind of profession it's kind of got its highs and its lows and sure. um I'm kind of in this in this point right now where it's sort of the uh, like getting up to the top of that roller coaster but it's it's not slow but it's definitely steady which is something that you know you have to recognize and take full advantage of so um yeah it's i I am traveling to New York and Chicago and overseas and here there and everywhere every you know every other week which is exhausting and I don't get to see bill and I don't get to see the cats as much as I would like to so <laughs> yeah. we're um yeah it's it, it's something that right now is hard to figure out what the actual solution to that is yeah. but um
1: does Salem feed you when you're there
3: it does there there are aspects of it that um we just, ha- like, I've been there for two and a half years now, and there are traditions that we have just by going to the local coffee shop, and our studio is right in the downtown area mm-hmm. that we both work out of. and It's home. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many things that just make you feel warm about it, but at the same time, it's like, for me, I'm like, mm, this seems like a place that I would love to retire in eventually, mm-hmm. but at this point, who knows, you know, what... Yeah. Hope, you know, where the
2: broom will take you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I want to get back to the specifics of your work. Bill, for mm-hmm. those who haven't yet had the pleasure of seeing your amazing Instagram and both your personal shop and the burial ground shop online, and we'll tell them how to find it mm-hmm. in a little bit. Um, but. You know, what I love about, first of all, your drawings and, and illustrations in particular is they have this wit about them. Um, you, you draw lots and lots of witches mm-hmm. and Victorian women, or now I know it's the same woman, <laughs> but you also have this really great kind of tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of my favorite pieces of yours, you have a t-shirt that I'm so sad I didn't buy. I, I need to get on that because uh, I think it might be sold out now, but it was the, um, not this pussy shirt. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And if you could describe that for listeners. For
2: sure. So, um, it was shortly after the Trump election. Um, I drew a crone flying on a broomstick, dumping Trump from a very high point in the sky (laughs) (laughs) and she's screaming, not this pussy to him. And I did that to raise money for Planned Parenthood, and then I did a couple other runs for it and then I also raised money for the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I think it's, I I try to not be super political on my Instagram just for personal reasons because I don't know, there, especially this climate now, there's so many important conversations to mm-hmm. have. And I, you know, I don't know, my mother is like a huge inspiration to me. I've had like very strong women you know, influenced me throughout my entire life and just knowing what was going on was just so unacceptable and upsetting. So that drawing was just hopefully a way to like do, do some good for like for what was going on. It's so
1: fantastic. <laughs> Thank and you. You also have a pin that says ride or die. <laughs> <it's>, With, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: This is pre witch too, before black Phillip existed. I, <laughs> yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the film, the witch because oh, it's, I mean, it, uh, you guys uh, must've lost your minds yeah. when it came out. I certainly did. And I don't even live mm-hmm. in new England. I
2: thought Robert Eggers was in my head or something. And- <laughs> hoping I pronounced his name right yeah but, um yeah I I I don't know there's something I always have to have a little humor in my in my artwork I'm a huge like labyrinth and dark crystal fan and I feel like there's same <laughs> same yeah. yes. and they have this it's like gorgeous ridiculous like yeah puppets and then they are funny there's I don't know there's a bunch of humor in that so I feel like that's probably where I I always get these like dumb dad jokes in my head and I'm like, I'm going to do an illustration of this. <laughs> but I don't know, I can't help it.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to tell everybody to get their shot glass ready because I'm going to use the phrase I use all the time on the podcast, which is reverent irreverence. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I love. You know, you have that spirit in your artwork and mm-hmm. it's so, so beautiful. Thank you. And Hogan, you have a lot of different styles and different fabrics that you work in. I mean, I was mm-hmm. going through your your catalog Blog, for lack of a better word, your your website, mm-hmm. and looking at different seasons that you put out, and some of them feel like slightly more structured and others feel like very velvet and romantic. Mm-hmm. And then they all still feel of a piece. They feel yeah. like made for the haute couture witch or something. Yeah. Um, I, but I'd love to hear about, you know, how you're navigating all of these different mm-hmm. styles.
3: Yeah. I like, I think again, my focus is on the body and, I like to have a through line. I think this is like my eighth collection that I'm working on right now, eighth or ninth.
1: Amazing.
3: And I like to have, in in my head, it's just one giant runway show that's never ending that's going to be throughout my career, which I think is important to sort of establish your voice as a designer. I really, there were a few things, like I did this holiday collection that had very flo- like floaty mesh tulle skirts with a velvet top and stuff. And that was kind of, That wasn't sort of in my canon of, you know, fall, winter, spring, summer. That was just kind of like a holiday fun thing that I wanted to do. It's (laughs)
1: breathtaking. Totally gorgeous.
3: And velvet is so, so nasty to work with, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, So I just, I decided, you know, this will be a standalone thing. I don't think I'm going to really sell it because it costs too much to make. No one's going to want to pay the retail price for it. So... I'm just gonna have photo shoots with it and have fun with it but everything else i kind of i don't know i i, I love doing fantasy stuff and i'm a huge lord of the rings fan huge tolkien fan um game of thrones um, which i've actually i've worked with i did illustrations for their official dvd um oh, fabulous. Two, two seasons of the tv show um so th- the fantasy realm is always there for me and i'm I can't escape it, and I would never want to. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, I I like to think of having sort of a similar aesthetic for the entire, like, for everything I do.
1: It's beautiful. Thank you. And on that, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back. Native Apothecary
0: merges magic and medicine with their ethically wild crafted plant spirit remedies and ceremony oils. And I gotta tell you, having tried them myself, they are very effective. I especially love their Gatekeeper Elixir, which uses plant essences like Mugwort and hawthorn to help increase intuition and put you in a more receptive state of mind to receive messages and guidance from the spirits. Native Apothecary also offers herbal potions to help heal your heart, shield you from negative energy, boost your vitality, and so much more. And great news, you can get 10% off using offer code WITCH at nativeapothecary.net. So go on and let Native Apothecary connect you to the land and bring you to a place of healing and wholeness. Go to nativeapothecary.net and use offer code WITCH For 10% off their magical plant elixirs.
1: Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Bill Chrisoffi and Hogan McLaughlin. So I want to get a sense of your relationship individually with the archetype of the witch. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly I see that current and that energy channeled in both of your work, but Do either of you have a spiritual practice? Do you guys consider yourselves witches? What comes to mind when the word witch is brought up?
3: Um, Well, I think out of respect to people that do identify as witches, I would not personally identify as a witch, but there are so many aspects to the religion and the practice and just everything that resonate with me. So no, I don't, I don't, ritually do things but I think rituals can be their own thing unto themselves whether it's going to a walk to in the forest or you know lighting a candle or an incense or a palo santo stick or something I don't Mm -hmm. know like it's just just things like that that you don't really the everyday things that probably are just a a part of a practice or something and
1: so much of fashion is transformational I mean Mm -hmm. you're creating new shapes and allowing people to shape shift when Mm. they wear your outfits. So to me, that feels very magical in a way.
3: Yeah. I think everyday magic is always present. Uh, I think my, my biggest thing is that there's so much work within what I'm doing right now and travel and everything that it's hard to, to lay down a practice. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to, I guess my, my thing is I try to do some kind of, some form of yoga every day. And that's, sort of my own ritual my own church type thing because Mm -hmm. it gets your mind just goes crazy especially if you're in any kind of art world um you need something to balance you and i think that so many people respect witchcraft and things like that because
2: it it brings them a balance in their life Mm -hmm. so yeah
1: yeah what about you bill
2: yeah i would say that i do it's like i i actually i remember when i first talked to you when you were in salem and i I was telling you how much your intro to this podcast resonates with me saying art is magic and magic is real. I think that that I get into this like ritualistic space every time that I am drawing or making a costume or something like that and even talking about Hogan's fashion with transformation. Transformation is a huge part of my artistic identity I think where like I try to push push that as far as I can to make myself something else or make myself this being and I've done a few rituals with friends um you know where I use some of my costumes or make a mask for it and it definitely you get into this different space and I think that that's that's something that I'm really interested in and um I have my own daily like small rituals that I do privately that aren't anything huge, but they're important to me. And they, you know, help me start a day. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, in that way.
1: Bill, you said when you were little, you know, you loved witches. Mm -hmm. And a question that I get, I've gotten from quite a few listeners who've emailed are you know people who identify as male they're dudes Mm. and they say hey I, i i love the podcast but you know you've had a lot of ladies on here and how can i as a man kind of enter into the world of the witch is the witch for me too and i'd love to hear either of your thoughts on that but bill let's start with you
2: I, yeah, I mean, I think the witch is for men and I think that it should, I, I think that recognizing its feminine qualities and the importance of femininity or like that energy is something that anyone can harness. And I think that having men being interested in it is super important and it's about getting in touch with that side. And I, but again, it's not just, it's not just a feminine practice. It's a, you know, it has, it's, it has both poles. Um, and I think that anyone can do it if they want to you Mm -hmm. know it's it's for everyone
1: Mm -hmm. and it strikes me bill that you know you draw mostly this female Mm -hmm. kind of witch woman Mm -hmm. and hogan you mostly design for women i don't know Mm -hmm. if you've done any collection for men yet but that that's really interesting to me that as men you know your creative space is very feminine
3: right Mm -hmm.
1: um have you identified it in those terms or uh, Um, not quite
3: i would say so um i think just it's inherent. Like, growing Mm -hmm. up, I I was attracted to the female characters and Mm -hmm. shows and movies and stuff. And I think maybe that had to do with the fact that they had some great clothes and I was (laughs) destined to be a clothing
2: person. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think... Yeah, I just think that that's always been there. Right. It's. Um, I was actually. I had a conversation with a cousin of mine, re, like sort of recently, and she was like, you know, I've always remembered you being into the female archetypes, whether it be mermaids or witches or mm-hmm. you know who, anything like that. I, it's always been so fascinating to me. But the witch had definitely been like always my my main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I don't know. I. I actually was recently. This is my like new thing where Hogan and I had talked about. He, he introduced me to Rupaul's drag race
1: do you guys know how obsessed <laughs> yes, I am I do. with this <laughs> yes. show Like and
2: so this is like
1: restraining myself uh-huh, no, go seriously. ahead you talk you're, no, the, guest. you're have- the guest you're the guest you're the guest
2: and I like no and I I think about it and I'm like well I you know we're talking about like transformation and things like that and I like am I am considering I, in my wildest dreams where I have like where I really put the energy into it, but becoming the Hag Queen, where I could be like yes. <laughs> Maiden Mother Crone, reveals on the runway. Yeah, <laughs> copywritten. <laughs> no, um, so I, I really like that was another thing that 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 in itself, those performances and that energy is like, oh my god, like the best, and I feel like that is. I don't know. That's a very witchy thing, I think, too. And I, I want to just like completely destroy the competition. 100%. <laughs> I,
1: I would love to see your version of oh, this. Man. I think it would be so beautiful. And that actually reminds me there was, I believe it was a photograph and also a drawing you did, Bill. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's both of you dressed up as kind of the alchemical marriage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So one of you Mm -hmm. is the sun and one of you is the moon. Mm -hmm. And it's so gorgeous. And I thought it was such a beautiful metaphor as well for relationships, for love, Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. creative process. Can you talk a little about what that project was or that image was from
2: yeah um i actually drew that while we were staying at his sister's house in brooklyn um i drew it on the day of the solar eclipse and um we had the idea to recreate it for um halloween this year and
1: so the drawing came first the drawing came first yeah
2: so I had asked Hogan if he'd like to make the robes and I'll make the headpieces and we recreated the drawing um, in Woodstock New York when we were spending um, a weekend with friends there Mm. it was a really fun process because we haven't really worked like that yet and so it was it was really cute like Hogan was worried about like the fabrics he was choosing. Like if it were something that I would, that I was like thinking of, or like if I, if I liked it, like I feel like you were a little hesitant about that, but I was like, no, seriously, just do whatever you want Mm -hmm. for the robes. Like make it, you know, make that part yours and I'll make the headpieces, and we'll, I don't know, bring it together. And Mm we looked at, um, was it, was it Galliano, um, makeup or was it? Oh yeah. It was a Galliano show. Um, the Russian brides or something a while
3: ago, but they have, uh, very like cherry stained lips kind of Mm -hmm. and the Almost like silent movie eyebrows
2: yeah. thing. Like um like pearlized skin yeah. and stuff like that. So we, we had a lot of fun doing that. Um we were racing until the last minute. I was like gluing um mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like gluing like fake pearls onto onto oh. the headpiece. And then we only wore them for like an hour because they were so cumbersome. They were huge. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah, it was. And a this lot was of fun. just
1: for a photo shoot for Yeah,
2: it was just uh,
1: you guys or was it yeah. for yeah. a certain No, we oh. just
2: did it for us.
1: Amazing.
3: Yeah. 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 We at that we went with a bunch of friends to a cabin in Woods. Woodstock. So we just all kind of did our own costume, had dinner. We were going to go out in the town, like out to the town where they were having,
2: um, like Halloween parades and stuff. Mm-hmm. But We thought it would be a lot quieter than Salem. And it turns out Woodstock is like completely bumping on Halloween. <laughs> so we, uh, we just went back to the house and I think we had a fire and called it a night <laughs> oh
1: my god can i just say though that that sounds like a dream halloween yeah. oh, just oh, like spending all day uh, mm-hmm. doing beautiful costumes and photo shoots it's and so having fun. a feast and we
2: always try to do that every year um we always get out of salem it's like it's almost like a law that you have to <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i've heard it's pretty tough i've never yeah. been there in october mm-hmm. but it sounds
2: really oh challenging. it's crazy yeah yeah,
1: yeah. well I love the idea of the alchemical marriage um, when my husband and I got married, we had a lot of like secret alchemy symbols oh, cool. in, in our yes. wedding and in, in our wedding bands mm-hmm. and think well, I guess not so secret anymore but <laughs> um and and you know that idea of two things becoming this third thing this third mind something Mm -hmm. that transcends both of you Mm -hmm. I think is such a a beautiful kind of formula um, a magic formula Mm -hmm. if you will and I, I so admire the ways in which you're able to work together uh, because not a lot of couples can necessarily do that I think it's mm-hmm. really magnificent and so I have to ask you, mm-hmm. you use the word fiance mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. have a wedding date planned I'm imagining your wedding is going to be ridiculously <laughs> beautiful like what are the yeah. details I'm not inviting everybody <laughs> or myself I just want to vicariously hear a little about this
3: we have ideas that we've talked about I think tentatively we're trying to aim for sometime next fall but uh work you know gets yeah. in the way a lot so sure we, it's not that we've put it on the back burner it's just that we've displaced our focus. We I do have it. a few very ridiculous
2: ideas, though, that I don't I don't know if they'll a- actually happen, but do you know the medieval wedding in The Love Witch, like when they get of married? Of course. To so we were thinking of having actors acting out the wedding the next day at brunch, which would be a recreation of that wedding, basically. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know, just, yeah. I, I've been researching uh, industrial fog machine rentals and <laughs> and medieval candelabras. <laughs>
1: oh, it'll be the wedding of the century darling. Oh.
2: If we end up doing it all but we'll figure i mean that's
3: how our minds work, though we're like oh this would be so fun to do like not even just for Mm -hmm. a wedding but just in life and it'd be like oh this is great and then we forget about it and then it comes back to us right (laughs) it'll it'll happen
2: it'll it'll be like an organic um you know i'll just bring all the candles from our house and we'll place them at some ruined castle and Mm -hmm. then that'll
3: be it oh
1: sounds like a dream well listen bill and hogan i have a million more questions Mm -hmm. as always Mm -hmm. but we need to wrap things up Uh, before we go where can people find out more about your work what are your handles websites all that jazz
2: you can find me on instagram at bill s-a-f-i so it's bill safi or um, my website which is com. And you can find the jewelry that I make with my best friend Jamie Moores at Burial Ground on Instagram or burialground.org. Perfect. My Instagram
3: is my name Hogan McLaughlin. Um, my website is hogan Uh I don't currently have like my clothing for sale just because I'm working with boutiques and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, but my illustration website is linked there as well so you can get all of that stuff there and.
1: Pins and yeah. goodies and mm-hmm. T shirts and things. Or yeah,
3: uh, they they come in and out when I when I have a chance to like focus on that. You know, <laughs> I <laughs> which know. I don't. I never want to put on the back burner. But no, sometimes. of course, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah.
1: Well, Bill has tons of amazing tote bags oh. and T shirts and pins and and prints for sale Thank on you. his site too. If people need some fashion immediately, <laughs> so Hogan, while we're waiting for your stuff to show up, <laughs> we'll go to Bill's site guys thank you so much congratulations on your uh pending wedding that's (laughs) thrilling and thank you for being here
2: thank you so much for having us
0: that's it for the show thank you again to bill crasafi and hogan mclaughlin for joining me and inspiring me with their vision and their love and that's it for the first season of the witch wave I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. And I hope you have a magical summer. I'm looking so very much forward to meeting you back here when season two launches in the fall. But until then do you have questions feedback need some witchly advice or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you and you just might make it on the witch wire the witch wave is produced and recorded by me pam grossman this episode was edited by chiquita Pascal. thanks chiquita And myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stars. It really does make a huge difference, and I'd be so grateful to you, and please keep spreading the word. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and if you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for Witch Emoji, that's all one word, in the app store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for a wondrous first season. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.